If you have a Bible, would you join me in Genesis chapter 11? Genesis 11. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have a digital device of some sort that contains a Bible, you can follow along on the screens. We'll put the verses up there for you. This morning, I want to bring you a message called One People and One Purpose. One People and One Purpose. This week, I did something that I don't like to do. I did something that was really out of the ordinary for me. I did something that I avoid doing at all costs most of the time, something that I absolutely hate to do. I went to the doctor. Um, I hate going to the doctors. Anybody else with me? There's a, a whole list of reasons why I don't like going to the doctor. First of all, the doctor's the place where sick people hang out. That's not very cool for me. So anyway, the second reason I don't like going to the doctor is there's something about the smell of the doctor's office. You know what I'm saying? Like the doctor's office, every medical clinic, every medical facility, every hospital, they all have that same cold, sterile smell that's, that, that feels, any, it feels like anything but home. It's very uncomfortable, and the people can be very nice, the nurses can be very nice, the doctors can be very nice, but you're still at the hospital, it's just not comfortable. I have a hard time getting disarmed when I go to the doctor, and not only that, but like I know that when I go to see the doctor, he's going to, you know, prod and poke at me, and he's going to try to figure out what's going on, and I'm just not really into that. So anyway, I don't like going to the doctor, but I went to the doctor this week because I had this cold that was on me for like a week, and it just went through our house, and I was not going to accept this. I was like, okay, God, like, we don't want to be sick for all these days, but we kept fighting and kept fighting and fighting. About a week later, I started feeling better. So Wednesday of this week, I felt like I was back to normal. I woke up in the morning. I'm like, okay, my cold's going away. I'm feeling better. Life is back to normal. Life is back to usual. And then Wednesday afternoon, I'm here at the office, and suddenly this headache sets in, and this pressure forms in the top of my head and makes its way back behind my eyes and then down to my nose until pretty soon the entire right side of my face feels like it's going to explode. <laughs> and I told my wife, I was like, I have this terrible pressure and this terrible pain in the right side of my face. And she looks at me and she says, it sounds like you have the classic symptoms of a sinus infection. Well, nobody wants to have a sinus infection. So I came home that night. I took something to help me sleep to take away the pain. But I woke up at 1.30 in the morning in terrible pain. There was all this pressure in my face. And still, I felt like my face was going to explode. So I finally take something else. I sleep through the night. I wake up in the morning. I call and make a doctor's appointment because I really need this pain and this pressure to go away. So I finally come to see the doctor in the afternoon. And you know how this is, everybody, like when you've got a real pain, when you've got something that's really nagging you and ailing you and it's stopping you from doing what you would normally do, you go to the doctor and all that you want is a little bit of relief. Can I get an amen? All right, so I'm at the doctor's office, and I'm sitting there wanting to get some relief. I'm telling the nurse about everything that's going on, what my symptoms are, and what's happening. The fact that I've been sick for a few days. She takes my vitals. She writes some things in my chart. She enters it into the computer, and then she says, okay, cool. Let's go see the doctor. She takes me into the examination room. I wait for about 10 minutes in the examination room, and then the doctor finally comes in, and he goes, hi, Zach. I'm Dr. So-and-so. He introduces himself, because this was the first time that I'd ever seen him. And he sits down, and he says, okay, Zach, I need to ask you a couple of questions. He says, first of all, have you had a flu shot? And I said, no. He goes, well, let me tell you why you need to get a flu shot. And the dude spends five minutes telling me why I need to, flu to get a flu shot, but let me tell you, I didn't go there that day with the purpose of getting a flu shot. But yet he spends five minutes telling me why I need to get one and how I'm going to possibly get sick if I don't get a flu shot. And it's really highly important that I get a flu shot because I have a wife and a child and I don't want to carry the flu with me. And you know, I'm just like, okay, whatever, you know. So I just listen to his whole pitch thinking the faster he gets through this, the quicker I'm going to get the relief that I came for. So when he said I needed to get a flu shot, I just said, look, man, I don't care, whatever, give me a shot. All I want right now is for you to stick a needle in my face and drain this pressure out of my head because I feel terrible. 
So I listened to what he had to say, and I said okay to the flu shot, and I got the flu shot. But then when he got done telling me that I needed a flu shot, he then looks at me and says, have you had a tetanus vaccine? And I'm like, look, sir, I didn't come to get that either. I just have this pressure in my face, and I would really appreciate some help with this sinus pressure going away. But instead, he took five more minutes telling me why I needed a tetanus vaccine. So after sitting there with him for 10 minutes and he telling me that I needed the flu shot and me saying yes, telling me I needed a tetanus shot and me saying yes, I finally thought we would get around to the point. And then he got done telling me that and he looked at me and he said, no, why is it again that you're here today? <laughs> and by the way, this is all 100% true story, okay? And I got done with that whole situation and I'm thinking, man, this is crazy. But finally, he examines me, he checks me out. The good news is that I didn't have an infection. I just had a few gnarly symptoms that were really beating me up. He gave me a couple of things that I could go and get at the pharmacy and I was all good. I was good to go. I got home, I took the medicine and an hour later, sweet relief. Because no longer did my face feel like it was going to explode. All that pressure began to drain down and I was okay. And I felt a whole lot better. I rested in the evening, I went to bed that night, I slept through the night and everything was back to normal until I woke up Friday morning with these little aches and these pains and suddenly I'm cold and I can't get warm and so I put on my sweater and then I go take a hot shower and now I'm hot and now I'm sweating and I can't stop sweating and I just wanna be cool again so I take off my sweater and then I get cold, and I can't get warm. And I'm like, this is insane, what's going on? So I start to do a little bit of research, and as it turns out, when you get a flu shot. <laughs> so just to summarize this all again for you really quickly, I went with one problem, and the next day I woke up with another. And what I learned when the whole thing was said and done is that my purpose for being in the doctor's office that day was one thing. But the doctor's purpose for coming in and seeing me that day was quite another. Now, I'm not gonna point the finger and say the guy was a bad guy or a bad doctor. In fact, he was quite nice. The worst thing I would say about him was that he was a very good salesman because I got a flu vaccine and I got a tetanus vaccine. <laughs> but I tell you all of that, all that stuff today to simply make this point to you. One of the greatest ways that we will experience unfulfillment and disappointment in our lives is when we have unrealistic expectations because we have purposes that are colliding. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where your purpose and somebody else's purpose collide and you can't come to a resolution so therefore you're unfulfilled and you're disappointed? It seems like we see this in life all the time. I mean, think about it for just a moment. Even in relationships, specifically in marriages, I mean, there's no marriage that's gonna be a great, healthy, successful, fulfilling marriage if the two people who are coming into that union cannot agree on common purpose that they are equally pursuing in their lives. And I don't say this as a word of condemnation, but when the Bible says don't be unequally yoked to the unbeliever, literally it's giving us that warning because it's saying if you enter into this yoke, if you enter into this union, if you enter into this covenant, there's a possibility that the two of you will not fully pursue the same purposes equally and it will leave you in a place of unfulfillment and disappointment. Every church, if it wants to be effective in reaching people and reaching community, has to have a unified purpose and unified vision that comes from the top, is, re is preached down to the people, and then the people go and outwork that. If we're unified in purpose, we can achieve great things. 
I watched a documentary the other day about two guys who had an amazing product that they invented. One guy was the marketing genius and the other guy was the creative genius. The two of them set out thinking that they could market their product and sell their product to the world, change the world, change the way that people do things. And one man, the marketing genius, looked at his product and said, if we can sell it the way I want to sell it, if we can get it out there to the masses, if we can make sure that everybody gets one of these, we will make so much money, people will know us as some of the richest people in the whole wide world. The only problem with that was that the creative genius didn't care about money. He was more interested in his legacy. He wanted to be the creative genius who impacted the world with his creativity, with his invention. And because those two people could never unite in common purpose, this amazing product that they invented was never able to be as successful as it could have potentially been because they were not united in purpose. And ultimately, it, made, it brought them to a place of unfulfillment and disappointment. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live an unfulfilled life. I don't know about you, but when I get to the end of my life, I don't want to be disappointed with what I did with it, knowing that it counted for nothing. And I say that to tell you this this morning. The greatest fulfillment that you and I will ever find in our life is when we take our purposes and align them with the purpose for which God created us in this earth. Is anybody with me this morning? If you want to find ultimate fulfillment, if you don't want to be disappointed when you get to the end of, our, end of your life, we must all reach a place where we somehow, at some point, ask ourselves the question, what is the purpose for which God created me, and how can I align my life with that purpose and find ultimate fulfillment? There's a great story in Genesis chapter 11 that I want to show you this morning because while it's a familiar story and while it's a famous story, there's some really important things that we can learn, some things that we can pull from this story that show us if we align our purpose, the purposes of our life with the purposes for which God created us, we will find ultimate fulfillment. I want to read to you from Genesis 11 starting at verse 1. This is what it says. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Now this is significant because at this time, people did not speak multiple languages. And when it said they spoke one language, it doesn't just say one language, it says one speech. That specifically means that they spoke one dialect. It was as if everybody had the same accent in the way in which they spoke their language. Now, verse two, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. That doesn't sound like a very significant verse, but really what we have to understand is that Genesis 11 is happening about 350 years after the great flood, after Noah has built an ark, after Noah and his family and two of every animal have been put on that ark. They've survived the 40 days and 40 nights of rain. The flooding has ceased and Noah and his family step off the ark. Fast forward 350 years and people are still discovering new lands, new places to inhabit, new places to settle. And that's what we see happening in verse 2. Now, skip down to verse 4. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see this city and this tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. If you look at other translations, what it literally says is that there's nothing that they set out to do that will be impossible for them. It's really amazing what these people were setting out to do. In fact, when you look back at these first few verses, these first six verses, there's a few things that we see that are really interesting observations. And I wanna just show these things to you really quickly. First of all, we see in verse five that God came down to have a look at what these people were building. And here's the thing I wanna share with you really quickly. 
I don't know what you are giving your life to right now. I don't know what the purposes of your life are. I don't know what you're giving your time and your energy and your effort to build in your life. But here's what I do know. God is intimately concerned. He's passionate about what you are giving your life to building. God cares about what you are giving your time, your energy, and your effort to. In fact, we see that these people set out to accomplish something, and God literally came down to check it out because he was that interested in what they were building. Now, there's a passage of Scripture that I want to refer you to really quickly because I think that this will help us understand this. 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9 says this. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth to and fro, and he wants to show himself strong on behalf of those who are loyal to who? To him. God wants to show himself strong in your life when you choose to be loyal to his plans and his purposes for your life. God is intimately, passionately, more than we can ever understand, interested in the details of your life, and he absolutely, totally cares about what it is that you are giving your life to achieve. There's another observation that I see from this passage that's quite interesting. Verse 6 says that God came down and had a look at what was going on, and he says, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they do, that they set out to do, will be impossible. I'm fascinated by this because it's almost as if when God came down to check out what was going on, he saw just how much these people were accomplishing and achieving, and it was like God was impressed. Oh my goodness, look at this thing that they're building. Look at this city that they're building. Look at this tower that they're building. When these people put their mind to something, they can really build something incredible. Now, we're going to keep going in just a moment because a lot of you know what happens next in the story, so hang with me. But here's what I want to say. God has uniquely designed humanity to be able to achieve some incredibly significant things when we, per, when we come together under common purpose to build something together. There's a phrase that we use a lot when we make mistakes, when we mess up, when we miss the mark. One of the things that we say is, look, I'm not perfect, I'm only human. I've heard that phrase used so many times, I'm only human, I'm only human, I'm only human. You know, sometimes we get into that line of thinking and the one thing that we don't realize is that we're not just only human. You and I are created in the image of Almighty God. And when God made you and when God made me, he knew exactly what he was doing. And let me tell you something, you're not just anything ordinary, you're not just a mindless, you know, inanimate creature that roams the face of the earth. Instead, God has a purpose for your life. God created you with some very interesting abilities that are unique to you. And when God made you, he absolutely knew what he was doing because you are a fascinating creature. And not only are you a fascinating creature, but God has given you unique talents and abilities that combined under common purpose can achieve great things when they are united with other people, but especially when they are united with the purposes of God. Now, there's other things that I see in this passage that I find very interesting. A second thing, or another thing, is that after God has come down to see what these people are building, he soon recognizes that there are a few problems. Now, if you know the rest of the story, you know where we're going, but everybody hang with me for just a moment because I want to identify what some of the problems were that God saw when he looked down at what these people were building. Sure, he was impressed that these people could accomplish so much, but the problem was when God took a closer look at the purpose, when God took a closer look at the heart, and when God took a closer look at the motive that these people had in building what they were building, there's a few things that stand out where they seemed to miss it, and God had a problem with it. And I want to show you these things. They're all found in verse 4. Here's the first problem. 
Number one, in verse four, it says that they said to themselves, come let us build ourselves a city. I think the first problem that God identified and what these people were setting out to do was they were building a great city for themselves. Another way of saying this would be that these people had set out to build their own kingdom rather than God's kingdom. You might be here this morning and you're chasing after purpose, you're chasing after fulfillment, you're chasing after destiny. I wanna tell you that you and I, while you might not yet know specifically the things that God has created you to do, generically speaking and in a roundabout way, I wanna tell you this morning that the one thing that we should all be pursuing with our life that is the greatest purpose of our life is to establish the kingdom of God and build the kingdom of God in the world in which we live. I remember years and years ago, if you've been in our church for like many years, our founding pastor, Pastor Roger, used to say this all the time. He would say, what is it that we've been called to do? What is it that we've been created to do? To establish the kingdom of God, to establish the kingdom of God. And if you don't really understand what that means, it can sound relatively generic, but the truth is, Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this, Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we are to make earth a mirror image of what's happening in heaven, to establish the kingdom of God. Now, I know that there's imperfections in this world, but the truth is we do it by establishing God's kingdom and committing ourselves to his purposes and his plans in the earth. So that's one of the first problems that God had when he looked down and saw that these people were building kingdoms, not for him, but a kingdom for themselves. The second problem that we see there in verse four, it says that they said to themselves, and we will build a tower whose top is in the heaven. I think the problem that God had with this is that these people wanted to put themselves on equal footing with God. If you go back and you look at deep studies of this passage, when they decided to build this great tower that reached up into the heavens, there's really two schools of thought behind this, why they decided to build this great tower. The first school of thought on this is that many people thought that they were trying to build a tower that would rise them up above other people and try to put themselves on equal footing with God. It would reach up into the heavens. It would be far superior to anything else on earth, thus making us more like God than like humanity. I wanna tell you something this morning. God has not called you and I as the people of God to ever put ourselves above anybody else. But God has called us to unite with other people in common cause and in common purpose because if I elevate myself thinking that I'm better or that I'm more than or that I'm something special and above everybody else, then there's no way I'll ever be able to reach somebody with the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's another thought about that because I gotta be really honest with you, as a pastor, I think one of the most dangerous places that we can ever get as a pastor and somebody who's in ministry is when we begin to elevate ourselves and put ourselves on pedestals that say, well, we're up here, I'm the man of God, I'm the woman of God, and everybody else is kinda down here answering to me. I wanna tell you something, when you put yourself on a pedestal, you are setting yourself up to fail because I'm just as imperfect as you are, and I need a savior just as bad as you do. I am desperately in need of Jesus just as much as you are. And I wanna tell you today that there are pedest pedestals should not exist in the kingdom of God. Jesus said this, he said, the greatest among you shall be your, what Jesus was saying when, you, when the greatest among you shall be your servant is that we should not elevate ourselves above anybody else, we should lower ourselves down to the same level as everybody else. Because if we wanna be great, we have to learn to serve others. And that was the second thought, that was the second problem that God saw. Let me keep going with this because I believe there's another problem that God saw. In verse four it says that they said to themselves, let us make a name for ourselves. I think the problem that God saw here was that they wanted 
excuse me, they wanted to spend their lives making their own names famous. Now here's something really interesting because the culture that in, which, in which we live today, we are incredibly obsessed with fame. We are incredibly obsessed with celebrityism. I mean, let's be honest, I know about half of y'all watch a famous family on TV that's just famous for being famous. Like they haven't really done anything, they're just famous for being famous. And all the people of the world envy people like that because we just have this need for attention. We want people to notice us, we want people to see us, we want people to know about us, who we are, the great things that we've done, the great kingdoms that we've built. We want everybody to know our name. <sighs> Tea breath. It's interesting because if you go on social media, you know, I, I, I participate in various kinds and formats of social media. If you go on Instagram very often, I have not a lot of friends like this, but I have a couple of friends that have lots and lots and lots of followers on social media, like thousands and thousands of followers. And when I look at some of the things that they post, I'm always fascinated at the people underneath that comment on their posts and say, click here for followers, click here for followers, click here for followers. And if you look at their pages, they don't have anything significant to say. They're just out looking for people to know who they are, to follow them, to recognize them, and somehow get their name above who they really are. I'm amazed at how often we shoot for fame and for recognition and for celebrityhood and all that kind of stuff. I want to tell you that stuff is so far overrated, and here's why. I don't, know every, I don't know the name of every single person that's here today, but my name is Zach Martin. And the one thing that my name has in common with your name is that one day my name and your name will bow down to the name that's above every other name. And I believe that in Genesis 11, when God looked down at these people who were trying to build something great for themselves, he said, I have a problem with this because these people are trying to make a great name for themselves when the thing I've really called them to do is make my name famous. God had a problem with that. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Hold tight. There's a fourth problem that I see here that God identifies in verse four. They said to themselves, we need to build this great tower lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. I believe the problem that God had with this is that God saw that these people wanted to achieve all of these things even though they were in direct disobedience to God's word. You might say, well, how are they in disobedience to God's word? Well, see, there was this principle that God had given. It was a commandment that God had given first to Adam and Eve, but then to Noah and his family. He said to go forth, be fruitful, and multiply to fill the earth and subdue it. It was God's will and God's plan that humanity would spread out, multiply, be fruitful, and fill the earth. And these people said, you know what? 350 years ago, there was a great flood that destroyed humanity. And what we would rather do is all of us congregate together in one place, build something great for ourselves, something that will bring us fame, something that will bring us recognition, something that will make our names famous. Let's build a kingdom of ourselves. Instead of spreading out, let's find safety in numbers. Let's find security. Let's find self-preservation by huddling up and doing our own thing right over here. And it was in direct contrast with what God had told Adam and Eve to do first and then Noah and his family to do 350 years earlier. And I'm fascinated with this particular part of the story because when I look at this, what I realize is how often in our lives do we compromise what God has told us to do for the sake of our own safety, our own security, and our own self-preservation. It's interesting how self-preservation will oftentimes make us do things that are counter to what the Word of God has to say because we feel like, well, if I do that, that's gonna really make me, in an, put me in an uncomfortable situation. If I do that, that's gonna have to force me to trust God. 
If I do that, that's gonna have to make me step out in faith. Well, guess what? The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And if you're at a place in your life where you feel like your own security is being questioned, your own self-preservation is being questioned because God's word is asking you to step out in faith, here's the good news. As soon as you step out in faith, you are putting yourself in a position to be blessed by God because steps of faith are the things that absolutely without question please God. And when God looked down and saw what these people were doing in verse four, he identified quickly these four problems. Now, we need to keep moving, but I, I wanna show you something that's really interesting because we've just identified the four problems that God saw when he saw what these people were building in this great tower. Look at verse five. Verse five says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. I did like a, a pretty long study of this verse particularly this week and I know it's kind of funny to think that you could do a really long study of like seven or eight words or something. But what's most fascinating about this is there are just like multiple Bible scholars that look back at this verse and the thing that they identify is how the scripture is so intentional in calling these people not the sons of God but instead calling them the sons of men. And why is that? Because God looks down and sees that these people are about their own plans, they're about their own purposes, they're trying to achieve their own things, they're trying to make their own names famous, they're trying to build their own kingdoms, they're not doing what God has asked them to do, so instead the scripture doesn't call them the sons of God, instead they are the sons of men. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it fascinating that that distinction would be made in the Bible? And when I look at that, it's confrontational. And here's why. Because when I look at the problems that God had with what these people were trying to build, I have to immediately stop and see if my life is at all aligning with what these people were doing rather than what God wanted them to do. Because if aligning myself with the plan and purpose and will of God means that I'm a child of God, then that means that if I, if I give my life over to my own plan, my own will, my own ideas of what it is that it's supposed to look like, my own kingdoms, making my own name famous, I'm disaligning myself as a child of God and I'm becoming one of the sons of men. That scares me. Immediately I'm confronted with that because what I realize is that there's a contrast between the sons of God and the sons of men. Let me just share a few things with you real quick. The contrast between the sons of God and the sons of men. Really quickly we'll go through these. The first thing that I notice is that the sons of men work their whole lives to build their own kingdom. But the sons of God give their lives to build their father's kingdom. The second thing I notice is that the sons of men make themselves their own God. But the sons of God know that there are no other gods before our Heavenly Father. The third observation I notice is that the sons of men strive to bring fame to their own names. But the sons of God know that there is no, na there is no name above the highest name, but that there is one name that's above every other name, and that every one of us will bow, every one of us will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that his name is above every other name. And then finally, the sons of man will act in disobedience to God for their own security and self-preservation, but the sons of God will know, listen to this, the sons of God will know that disobedience to God is actually the biggest threat to our protection and our security. A lot of times we feel like we need to step out in faith and do something that's gonna make us uncomfortable and we say, wow, God, are you really asking me to step out and do something that's gonna put me in a vulnerable place, that's gonna really bring my security and my self-preservation into question? And God says, yeah, because I want you to learn to trust me. 
And we have the hardest time with that sometimes, but what we don't realize is that as soon as we remove ourselves from the obedience of God's word, as soon as we begin to disobey and do things that are contrary to the word of God, really that is the most insecure and unsafe place we could ever put ourselves. And we try so hard to do it ourselves, to save ourselves, to build something for ourselves, and we get all out of line and out of whack and away from the purposes that God has for our life. And sometimes many of us come crashing down because we have to start all over and say, God, I tried it my way, but now I'm asking for your purposes to take over because the truth is, the purposes that God had for your life are better than the best purposes and plans that you could ever make for yourself. We say that all the time in this church. So with that in mind, the sons of men, the sons of God, there's a few more questions that I found myself asking because as confrontational as this was for me, I wanna propose a few questions to you today. Because the Bible says that God came down to have a look at what they were building. God was so intimately interested in seeing what it was that they were giving their life to, their time, their energy, their effort. God said, I need to see what these people are up to because it looks like they're trying to build something. And so he comes down and has a look and he finds that there's a few problems with what they're, with what they're trying to do. And based upon the, different, the difference between the sons of men and the sons of God, I find myself asking these questions and I wanna ask you these questions today too. If God, take, if God came down to take a closer look at what you were building in your life, whose kingdom would he find you building? Whose kingdom would God find you building if he came down and took a closer look at everything that you were giving your life to? You know, I, I felt this in my heart earlier to say this. When we talk about building our own kingdoms, it's like trying to build something that is all about us trying to establish something that is based completely on us. I mean, we sang that song this morning, Christ alone, the cornerstone. The whole idea and theory behind that from scripture is that Christ would be the foundation, the cornerstone on which everything rests because nothing else can be built if he is not the chief cornerstone of our lives. And we try so hard to build things for ourselves, kingdoms for ourselves, empire for ourselves, successes for ourselves, and we do it so often compromising his word because we're so interested in building our own kingdoms. And the thought that I kept coming back to this morning, and this is just me sharing from my heart for a moment, okay? I don't think that there's anything worse than being around shameless self-promoters. Like, have you ever been around somebody that is just always all about them, and you know that your relationship with them is all about what they can get from you? There's nothing worse than being around people who are trying at every turn to establish their own kingdom. That doesn't, they don't care if it runs over you. They don't care if you get taken advantage of. They don't care what anybody thinks. They're trying to build their kingdom at all costs and all expense. And I want to tell you this morning that promotion comes from God. And sometimes we try and we strive and we work and we sweat and we bleed trying to build these great things for ourselves when all God's asking us to do is to put our trust in him, take simple steps of faith, establish his kingdom on the earth, and that is when we will find the ultimate protection, the ultimate security, and the ultimate fulfillment in his plan. Don't be a self-promoter. Find promotion from God. Get away from building your own kingdom and say, God, I choose to build your kingdom because his kingdom will know no end. Because when our life is over and our kingdoms come crashing down, there is a kingdom that will last for all of eternity. When time has ended and it keeps going and going and going, there's only one kingdom that will continue to stand. So why wouldn't I choose in the life that I've been given on this earth to build that kingdom instead of my own? (laughs) 
Next question I find myself asking is if God came down to take a closer look at what we were building with our lives, who would he find sitting on the throne of our lives? If God came down and said, I want to take a look at who it is that's really sitting on the throne of your life, who would he find sitting there? Because here's the sad truth. A lot of us, man, we put some pretty stupid things on the throne of our lives. A lot of us put things on the throne of our lives that are temporary, that are fleeting, and when our life is over, those things will perish with us. But the truth is, they have zero eternal value. You know, money is a really bad thing to put on the throne of your life. Because when you go, it ain't going with you. Addiction is a terrible thing to put on the throne of your life because God has way better plans for your life than that thing that's got you in its grip right now. Bad relationships are a terrible thing to put on the throne of your life because they are stopping you from stepping into God's purpose and destiny for your life. There's only one thing worthy of the throne of our lives, and that is Jesus, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come, the one who gives us a bridge to eternity to spend our, the rest of our lives after this life is over with God. He's the only one worthy of sitting on the throne of our lives, and so often we put temporal, temporary, fleeting, vanishing things on the throne of our lives and we try to establish our own kingdoms in doing so. The next question I find myself asking is if God came down to take a closer look at what we were building in our lives, whose name would he find on the marquee of your life? We talked a little bit ago about these people trying to make their names famous rather than the name of God famous. Have you ever been to a concert at an old concert hall? When you get there, they have that big round marquee out front on the corner of the building. And you get there and the headlining act is across in big bold letters and maybe the supporting act is underneath it. But you look at it and that's the act that you came to see, the artist, the entertainer that you came to see. They're the headlining act and you look up there and there's all these people waiting outside to see that band or that group or that performer and you look up and you realize, man, look, they've made it. Their name's on the marquee. It's their name that's in lights. I wanna ask you a question this morning. Whose name is in lights in your life? Because my name's not worthy to be on the marquee of my life. My, my, myself, in and of myself, I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability to, to save myself. I don't have the ability to get myself to eternity and spend it with God. I'm a desperately sinful man in need of a savior. And often the name that we put on the marquee of our lives, the, one, the name that we're always trying to put into the spotlight in our lives is a reflection of who the God of our lives is. And when I get to the end of my life, I don't want God to look at me and say, Zach, you did a really good job of promoting yourself. The only problem is I put you on earth so that you could promote the name that's above your name. Can we make a decision that we don't get to the end of our lives? We don't go through our lives. We don't spend the days of our lives trying to put our own names in the spotlight, our own names on the marquee, but instead we keep the main thing, the main thing, and we put the name of Jesus, the name that's above every other name on the marquee of our lives, in the spotlight of our lives, so that it outshines and draws men to itself. Can we do that? If God came down, whose name would he find on the marquee of your life? And then finally... If God came down to take a closer look at what you were building with your life, would he find uncompromising obedience to his word in your life? Would he find uncompromising obedience to his word in your life? I wanna share this story with you really quick. If you go back to the beginning of Genesis, what you see is the story of Cain and Abel. They're both asked to bring a sacrifice to God, and the Bible says that Abel brings his first and he brings his best. And when he brings that sacrifice to God, God is honored, God is pleased with that sacrifice. And God tells Abel how pleased he is with that sacrifice. But then his brother Cain comes. And Cain doesn't bring his first, 
and he doesn't bring his best. And God is unfulfilled, God's unsatisfied. He's not happy with the, with the sacrifice that Cain has brought. And so God tells him about it. What's really interesting about that story to me is that I don't think the sacrifice, physical, the physical sacrifice of what he brought was the biggest issue. I think the biggest issue was that Cain did not bring his first and he did not bring his best. And when I look at this and I relate it to my own life, one of the things that grabs my heart, and let me just talk about me for a moment, okay? I made a decision a few years ago that I was gonna put God first in the area of my finances no matter the cost. And I say that to you for one reason, because when you have to first start choosing to do that, let's just be honest, it's a, it's a tough decision to make. Can we just be honest for a moment? When you first make that decision, God, I'm going to tithe. Before anybody else gets anything from me, you get first. I bring you my first, I bring you my best. When I made that decision to do that, it was a hard thing, but what I began to understand was that if without faith it's impossible to please God, my tithe, my gift, my honoring God is a step of faith that is pleasing to him. And my natural course of action is to think if I give God my first and I give God my best, then what's left in it for me? What about the kingdom I wanna build? What about the things that I wanna achieve? What about all the stuff that I wanna do? But instead, God's saying, give me your first and give me your best. And one of the things I've understood over time is that we can strive so hard to build things for ourselves when all we have to do is give God our first and give God our best, establish his kingdom, and he works everything else out. Now, here's why I tell you that. Because when Cain brought that sacrifice to God and basically said, God, I don't trust you with what's left over, God looked at Cain and he said, okay, and since that's the way you want it, here's the way life's gonna look for you. You're gonna live by the sweat of your brow. You'll spend the rest of your life working hard and tilling the land, always trying to get more because you'll feel like you never have enough. And can I tell you something? There's a lot of us that are living by the sweat of our brow, tilling the land, killing ourselves, working, trying to build something great for ourselves when God says, if you'll just give me your first, if you'll just give me your best, if you'll just trust me and be obedient, I gotcha. Can we learn to live by the grace of God rather than trying to do it all on our own? If God came down, would he find uncompromising obedience? I'm pretty much out of time this morning. If you know the rest of this story, you know that God sees that these people are trying to build a kingdom for themselves. They're trying to build a great tower to bring them fame. They stick together in disobedience and they tried to do something great on their own. God looks down and the Bible says that God says, let us go down, who's us? the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's an act of the Holy Spirit that happens, right? The Bible says that God says, let us go down and confuse their languages. Now, what's interesting about the story of the Tower of Babel is that the long arm of God doesn't reach down from heaven and knock down their tower and destroy what they had built. The fire of God doesn't fall down from heaven and consume these evil people. Instead, God just says, no, nah, here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna confuse their languages. Let's see what they can build if they're confused. Let's see what they can build when purposes collide. Let's see what they can build when everybody's on a different page, when nobody's speaking the same language. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, an act of God and the Holy Spirit comes down, confuses their language. No longer are they building this great tower for themselves and they are dispersed throughout the land. We don't know if that happened instantaneously or we don't know if it happened over time, but they are dispersed throughout the land to achieve what God had actually called them to do. Now, I tell you the conclusion of that story because if you fast forward from there to the New Testament, Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost comes, Jesus has told his followers after Jesus has died, he's risen again, 
He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He says, don't leave town. Wait, stay here, hang out, because I promised you I'm sending the helper. I promised you I'm sending the comforter. The Holy Spirit was promised to these people. The Bible says in Acts chapter two that there were 120 people waiting in the upper room, and it says something very specific about them. It says that they were all in one accord. What that means is that they were united together that day in common purpose, in common passion, and in common pursuit. And then it says that right there in Acts 2, suddenly it came like a mighty rushing wind. The Holy Spirit descended upon these people and they saw tongues of fire on their heads. And suddenly what was happening there in the upper room began to spill out onto the street. But here's what's fascinating. Outside on the streets around the upper room were all of those people speaking different languages that had been scattered in different directions going all the way back to the Tower of Babel. And when the Holy Spirit descended and they began to speak with these other tongues and tongues of fire came down upon them, the people who were out in the street were unified because when they heard them speak in those tongues, they understood it in their own language. Now you have to put these two things together and understand that at the Tower of Babel was an act of the Holy Spirit to come down and bring about confusion. Why? Because these people were united in purpose that was opposite of the purposes of God. In Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit descends and instead of bringing confusion, he brings unity to the believers because why? They were unified in common purpose, in common passion, pursuing the will of God and the purposes of God for their life. And here's what's crazy, is 120 people that day turned into an altar call with Peter, preaching to 3,000 people that said yes to Jesus, and just a few days later, 120 people turned into tens of thousands of people saying yes to Jesus, and today we have this thing that was built that day called the Church of Jesus Christ. And you know what unites us today? Common purpose, common passion, and common vision. Now, you could spend weeks putting those two stories together and talking about all of the details. We don't even have near enough time to get into all of it. But the reason I mention it to you today is simply this, and we are about out of time this morning. For the last two months, we've been praying for God to move, for a fresh move of his Holy Spirit, to the point that we've even been talking about God bring about revival in our church. God bring about revival in our homes, bring about revival in our neighborhoods, our families, our workplaces, and all the things that, are, that surround our life. And I wanna tell you that the winds of change are blowing and God is doing some really, really significant things right now. And I believe that God can continue to do great things through people who are aligned in common passion, common purpose, and saying we will put our hearts together and unite under the flag and the banner that is the cause of the kingdom of God. But here's what's scary about it, is sometimes we miss out on what God wants to do because God wants to come unite us and have a move of his spirit come down and do something amazing like we've never seen before. But when he comes down, he finds that we're busy building our own kingdom speaking our own languages, making our own names famous. Maybe we've compromised the word of God for the sake of our own security and our own self-preservation. I wanna tell you today that I don't wanna miss the big thing that God is gonna do in our church and in our valley, and I choose to lay aside my own name. I choose to lay aside my own kingdom. I choose to lay aside my own fame, and I ask for the kingdom of God to come in my life, for the will of God to, become, to be done in my life, because my kingdom shouldn't be built. It's God's kingdom that it's time for us to build. 
And if we can unite in common passion, common vision, and common purpose and pursue this thing together, let me tell you something. There is no limits to what God can do in this valley through united people in purpose. Amen? Amen. If God looked down at what those people were building at the Tower of Babel and said, I'm so disturbed by what they're building that I choose to send my spirit down and confuse the whole thing, then how much would God bless a group of people that came together and said, we choose to lay aside our own agendas and we choose to build the kingdom of God. Imagine what God could do. Imagine what God could do. Imagine it. Don't miss it trying to build your own kingdom. Don't miss it trying to create fame for your own name, to bring on about your own recognition, your own self-preservation, your own security. Choose to be one of the sons of God. Let's build the kingdom of God together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you today for the group of people that are here today. Father, we give you our lives. We ask for your very best. But God, just as Pastor taught us a few weeks ago, God, we don't want to just ask you to bless what we're doing. God, we choose to do what you are blessing. You told us that there are purposes that you have for this life and for this earth that you wanted to outwork through us. So we choose to lay aside our kingdoms, our names, and our own desires, and we put you first. And we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in us and through us. In Jesus' name. God, we make ourselves open. We give you access and permission. We make our lives pliable before you so that you can work inside of us and do things that we have never seen before because we're desperate for a move and an outpouring of your spirit in our lives and in this valley and in our church. We give you permission. We choose to build your kingdom in our lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Real quickly, last thing we're gonna do this morning while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just wanna ask you right there where you are this morning, where you are when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. We talked about unfulfillment and disappointment. Truth is many of us will go through life feeling unfulfilled and feeling disappointed because we feel like we're not living our lives with purpose and a sense of destiny. The greatest purposes and the greatest fulfillment we can ever find in our life is walking in relationship with Jesus because the truth is we're all imperfect. And we see it identified clearly in scripture that all of us have sinned, we've fallen short of God's perfection and His glory. And so in order to save us from our sin, God sent the only acceptable sacrifice, His perfect, sinless, spotless Son, to come and take our place, show us how to live, live a sinless life, and then go to the cross and die the death that we deserve, paying our penalty so that we could walk away free. But He didn't just die, the Bible says that three days later, God raised Him from the dead so that you and I, when we reach the end of our life, would have hope that we would spend eternity with God. If your life feels purposeless, and when you think about eternity, it feels hopeless, I wanna tell you this morning that you can find hope through a relationship with Jesus. And it comes when we pray a simple prayer. We believe in our heart that Jesus is our Lord, that he's paid the, paid the price for us, he's given us hope for eternity, and then we choose to confess that with our mouth and align our lives with his word and his will. I'd love to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. There's nothing special about anything I could possibly say. What's significant is your confession and your belief in your heart. So I wanna invite you this morning to pray this together. If you're praying for the first time or you're making a recommitment of your life, that's cool, but we're gonna pray this as a, as a family together this morning. So I wanna invite you today to repeat these words after me and say, Dear Jesus, today I accept you as my savior and I choose to make you the Lord of my life. I believe that you love me 
I believe that you died for me. So today I give my life to you. I ask for your purpose. I ask for your peace. And I thank you for loving me and accepting me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give a big, big hand to people that made decisions this morning?